0: lead, Mick Ditman is squeezing through on Naturalism's emanations there with heroicity. And here comes the across. The across down the outside is motoring home. Naturalism, the leader. The across inch by inch is wearing him down. Naturalism still in front. He ran out near the line, but Naturalism went to the half length of the across in a bumping finish. Cavalier, this podcast
1: is brought to you by Racing
0: New South Wales, Sky Racing, and the High Gang Group. Talk to any country owner or trainer, and they'll tell you the tab highway concept is bigger than the Everest. As soon as a horse strikes form in a country region, the trainer starts thumbing through the Racing New South Wales Monthly magazine looking for a suitable tab highway at Randwick or Rose Hill. The owners of those horses can't wait to spend a weekend in the city, and many of them are constantly trying to source the right kind of horse for future highways. A highway win has become a badge of honour for bush trainers who now have the opportunity to stand in the winner's circle on a major Sydney track. Most weeks, the highways prove to be great betting mediums and the stories they produce for journalists and commentators are never-ending. There's often an entertaining yarn to come out of the weekly tab highway. The midways cater for city and provincial stables, whose horses meet the criteria. The TAB Highways are plainly and simply for the Bushies. From the Riverina to the Western Districts, from the Hunter Valley to the Northern Rivers and the Tablelands, and all points in between, there are highway horses awaiting the call. Barry Lockwood is hoping he's used up all of his bad luck over the last six harrowing months. Last November, he underwent major surgery and a lengthy rehabilitation following the detection of cancer in one ear and the side of his face. He was barely over that ordeal when a sudden golden Staph infection saw him lose a toe. The fickleness of Lady Luck was never more evident than it was during Barry's horror stretch – While he was dealing with these serious medical issues, a number of his horses, under the guidance of son Rick, were winning races all over the place. The day Isabella's spring and 15 rounds gave the stable a Saturday double at Doomban, Barry was in hospital, attached to an intravenous drip. The versatile Barry Lockwood has been around horses all of his life. An accomplished boy rider in early days at Tamworth, he became an outstanding farrier, yearling breaker and a top racehorse trainer. He has no idea how many winners he's trained, but there's no doubt his strike rate compares favourably with that of most trainers. He's back at work full time and he's picking up the pieces after the worst six months of his life. And I'm delighted to welcome a great horseman to the podcast, Barry Lockwood. Good morning, Bas. Well, by g, you've had a battering.
1: Yeah, thanks, uh, John. Yeah, it's been a last uh, six or twelve months have been pretty ordinary, but uh, we're we're back uh, operating now.
0: I'm sure you would have used those two famous words, "Why me?" <laughs>
1: well, one fellow said to me one day, "He said if if you didn't have bad luck, you wouldn't have any luck at all." <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh Did Oh dear! What were the first signs of the impending cancer?
1: I just had a, a like a, a uh, like a, yeah, a needle hole through my ear, like it, you'd think if you're putting an earring in or something. And a couple mm. of my staff said to me, "You had your ears pierced." I said, "No, no, really? just this little speck there." And the next thing. it mm. – in the you know, upcoming months, you get a specialist and things, and uh, by this time, they have eaten into the side of my face, and uh, uh, yeah, just uh, the time you get uh, operated on, well, uh, yeah, it was a hell of a mess.
0: Yeah. Now, Barry, did the doctors link this to your lifestyle? I mean, you're a bloke who's been in the sun from a very early age.
1: Yeah, so he said to me, this problem isn't something that's just arisen. He said, this is Goes back to your childhood, you know. we were out the farm, and mm. and you were just, um, you know, running around. You know, a lot of times without a hat, and uh, yeah, and you know, you spray your uh, crops and stuff with herbicides and things that you know just was done in those days without any knowledge of what uh, damage you could have arisen out of it. But uh, mm. that's where, that's where he uh, what he said to me that that that's where it goes back to.
0: Mm. The operation, you tell me, was very complex, and I know you're in awe of the job those doctors did. You're in pretty good shape.
1: Oh, yeah, no, they did a marvellous job. I mean, I didn't even have a skin graft. They just uh, they cut me down as far as the point of the shoulder and and just moved the, the slab of skin up to where, <laughs> cover mm. where the hole was and then um, pulled it back down and, uh, and stitched it all back. And, you know, it's, it's quite amazing. I, it's funny how, uh, you know, when you, you, you're you quite vain at different stages of your life and at the finish mm. you're just happy to be going. You know, that's about uh, <laughs> how it works out.
0: Yeah? It changes, doesn't it? Oh, yeah, no room for vanity, mate, when when no. you get into the veteran class.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly right. No, it's, uh, it's changed the shape of things. But uh, yeah, I think, uh, no, I've been in pretty good health and it's just uh, – the only time I get into trouble now. As if I think I'm going to eat something and end up biting my lip, which you know you have got to learn to uh, eat what you can. <laughs> oh dear.
0: As if you didn't have enough troubles, a rotten golden staff bacteria, which had been present in your system for many years, decided well, to rear its ugly head again. How did it show up this time?
1: Well, it's quite amazing. I. I got uh, staph in my spine back probably 25 years or more ago and Mm. and then it reoccurred when I first came to Brisbane 10 or 11 years ago and uh, just ended up with cellulitis through my body and in hospital for a few weeks. But uh, Mm. this time I I went to bed one Sunday night, normal, and um, by 2 o'clock in the morning I had an awful pain in the foot like I wouldn't believe and. Mm. I got out of bed and my toe had gone totally black and split up the side like it did with a razor blade, just burst yeah. everywhere. And I've just uh, the staff in, in six hours that had uh, gone from being normal to, uh, to that stage, you know. So, mm.
0: you back into hospital. Yep.
1: Yeah, I went down stables and. Oh, no, it took me a while to get myself organised here and then I went down the stable to watch the first couple gallop and I said, well, don't, you better take me to hospital now, sir. Did you? Yeah. That's um, where I went.
0: Yeah. Well, you lost that toe. Was it a big toe?
1: No, no, in the middle. I'm perfectly balanced training now. i got middle toe out of both feet when, when a horse jumped on <laughs> last year as well and, <laughs> <laughs> and took it off and then uh, this one they've taken off to... Uh, to get rid of the staff, so it was, uh, you know, I'm perfectly balanced now.
0: Yeah, Has it affected your tap dancing or can you still beat <laughs> the floor to a pulp?
1: Can <laughs> certainly beat it to a pulp, yeah. <laughs> I'm a bit heavy-footed for that. Nobody would have – they wouldn't have bought me as a yearling anyway.
0: <laughs> well, Barry, you must have been getting an inferiority complex while you were off Crook because the horses didn't stop winning.
1: No, marvelous, was everyone. I – i have got a very good staff, and uh, and um, you know uh, my foreman, there Sandy. He's he's now moving on to Godolphin, um, which you know will be a great opportunity for him. And then my son Rick, he uh, he came in. He's uh, he's been in the army for many years, and he got time off to mm. come and give us a hand. And uh, yeah, you know it was very good because he you know he sort of grew up with me and uh, uh, knew the yeah the, the the baseline of the horse that sort of thing and. He just took over straight away, and he handled it very, very well.
0: Mm. Well, mate, after a number of years in stables yeah. near the eighteen hundred meter mark at Eagle Farm, you've now relocated to the big barn out in the middle, and you yeah. love the setup.
1: Yeah. yeah, it's very, very good. Uh, you know, it's um, it's well, well done there. And we're where we are, I think. So, you know, it's a good position there. I've got to a tower at the stables there that I can watch the entire track from mm. um, From there. and uh, I know a lot of the other stables, are, uh, the, the towers aren't high enough for them to, to view over hours, you know, so yeah. I've got a very good uh, uh, point to, to watch all the work from.
0: The Crow's Nest.
1: Pardon? I say
0: it's the Crow's Nest.
1: Yeah, it is, yeah. <laughs> no, it's, uh, it's just ideal. I've got a good swivel chair up there now and I can... Keep an eye on most things.
0: <laughs> well, those new stables have allowed you to increase your numbers to 30, a manageable right. number. You happy with that?
1: Yeah, no, it's very good. Um, I mean, it's uh, the last year's been very um, hard on us financially keeping going, but um, we're, we're back uh, attacking now, so uh, we'll be fine. It, it's mm. it's like everything else. You're, you just go along with small numbers and you handle that and you build your way up and uh, and now you you know you you're looking at probably 130 140 thousand a month to keep uh, stable going you're at that size now so GMA, Yeah me
0: you,
2: yeah
1: you've got to keep it it's um, got to keep moving anyway.
0: Your story began in your hometown of Tamworth, where you learned to ride very early in life and you went on to a pretty good level at pony club and the horse shows. Terrific way to learn to understand horses, wasn't
1: it? I'm oh, marvelous, and um, you know, and there was no restrictions in those days. I mean, I'm quite amazed to go to a lot of pony club uh, things I've been to since, and everything's so restricted now. The, mm. You know, they the walk and trot and might get to a canter, but there's not a lot of. Uh, it was very competitive in our days, you know. It was, mm. was full steam aheadward, no matter what you were doing. Yeah. And, uh, and you had to learn to sit on, otherwise you'd be your backside in the dirt most of the time. Yeah,
0: yeah, your dad Ross was an electrician by trade in Tamworth, but he always yep. had a horse or two in work on the farm, didn't he? And it wasn't long before you were riding him work.
1: Yes, yeah, so I rode him work all the time and um, and uh, from early age, and we train him a lot of time we didn't get to the track and uh, and uh, we'd train them know, uh, in the paddocks or up, up the road or mm. along the ra- railway line it was uh pretty varied work i can assure you mm. I, I remember one uh, one year it would rain like hell and we couldn't get uh, horses work the track and i said today dad well we had a straight road of dirt road about a mile and i said just you go to the top of the hill and, and, and wave if the car's coming, I'll work him up the
3: oh, did <laughs> I'll you work know?
1: him up the hill. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what would happen if a car had come in, but anyway, mm. we got away with it, so yeah. that
0: was good. With your mind f- obviously fixed on a future with horses, you became apprentice to a great old world farrier by the name of Arthur Marshall. Now, right. as the blacksmiths of his era did a hell of a lot more than just shoe horses, didn't they? They could make anything.
1: Anything at all. I mean, we uh, when I was apprenticed, you know, you'd do the striking for him, uh, which was a uh, sledgehammer on the anvil, and he'd, uh, he'd be making um, crowbars and yeah, uh, and, and like, you know, he would get an axle off an old cart, and then they fire well the, the rasps, uh, old rasp into the end of the, Mm. Uh, the, uh, the bar, and that's where you got your crowbar. I mean, it was a yeah. yeah, lot of, lot of, lot of work, and, and just all manual work, you know. And, mm. But he, he was a sensational tradesman, and even at times, one one year we had to make uh, refit the tyres on a uh, on an old the uh, wooden wheels. I just put a steel rim around the outside, mm-hmm. and um, he'd done that as a young fella. And we had to do it for for um, you know one of the uh, historical societies yeah and uh, it was quite amazing just to to see what needed to be done to shrink this yeah. steel rim onto the you know the uh, the, the, the wooden wheel
0: oh, quite he, amazing he was a real trade and they're all gone now Barry.
1: Oh, it's different now it's uh you know well in those days you you know you made all your own shoes and that's mm. it and, and aluminium plates it only just Started to be used. Um, mm. Now, of course, you can buy any type of plate yeah. or any type of shoe out mm. of the shop. And uh, in those days, you made them yourself.
0: Yeah, made Those old timers could make a set of hinges, or they could make a kettle. Oh, you you name at it. All. You name it.
1: Anything at all. I just, um, when um, actually, when Dad passed away, I Mum sent me up one of the brands I'd made. As a kid, you know, a, a stock brand, yeah, and uh, you just don't see them anymore. It's just uh, mm. so we've got to get it chromed and give, give it to the grandkids or something that be something to look back on in years to come. Yeah, wouldn't
0: it be lovely to beam one of those old timers back into 2022 and watch him at work again?
1: Oh, old, uh, he, he was just sensational. He had a um, I guess they're still in his home. Um, uh, he's uh his uh, wife uh, still alive she you mm. know got to the well in the 90s and uh, she's done very well but um he had a uh, display cabinet of, of the different shoes he'd made in his life mm. and uh, all done by hand you had no uh, no uh, welding or assistance everything had to be mm. done by hand yeah you know, and and uh, magnificent shoes and all for different reasons you know
0: mm. And every type of horse?
1: Every type of horse, yep. we would, yeah, mm. well, we're, yeah showed, uh, well, we did the paces and trotters and ponies yeah. and gallopers. And, yeah, and I was a
0: mm.
1: mixed bag for sure.
0: Now, Barry, I've known dozens of trotting trainers who were very, very good farriers, but yeah. I haven't seen too many galloping trainers who can shoe a horse. I'm sure you're aware you're a member of a very small minority.
1: Yes, it's um, something that stood by me and for many, many years. Uh, not only just you know, because you can do it there, but if you happen to travel away somewhere, and a horse and pull a shoe on a plane or a truck, mm. you get off the other end, tack it on, and away you go. Whereas mm. a lot of people have got to wait till the next day to find a farrier and you know so on. So it, and it's been very good that way, and also. Uh, mm. You know, I've had a lot of problem horses over the years sent to me and uh, normally you can sort them out, you know.
0: Mm. Well, the skill has come back to haunt you a few times over the years because there was always somebody wanting you to look at a horse's foot (laughs) and nine times out of ten you'd finish up shoeing it for them.
1: Exactly right. Yeah, no, that's happened uh, with the bulk of my life, really. uh, Mm. Yeah, it's been interesting.
0: You were almost 30 years of age when you got a phone call from Paul Sutherland, the late Paul Sutherland, who was making a big impact on the Sydney training ranks at the time. Now, there was a horse called Rye Blue being trained at Warwick Farm, and Paul wanted to know if the horse was for sale. Somebody must have told him that the owners of the horse were your next-door neighbours.
1: Yeah, well, when he uh, actually called me, I had the horse in in Tamworth and – and, then, and later on he went to Warwick Farm. But I, uh, mm. I had him in Tamworth and um, and he said, uh, would they be interested in buying the horse? And I said, mm. uh, I'll find out for you. So I, I mm. rang the owners and they said, no, we'd just like to race him around here. And
3: yeah.
1: That is where it was left. So I rang Paul and, and uh, he said, well, what are you doing? I said, well, you know, I was, uh, giving dad an electrical training, a few horses and things, and uh, mm. I said, "How about you come down and and uh, apply for the foreman's job I got coming up?" You know, so, and that's how I uh, I got to Sydney.
0: Well, you had nothing to lose, did you?
1: No, I. Well, it was something I always enjoyed, and I thought, you know, it's uh, it funny when you live in the bush, and they had uh, uh, in those days had two newspapers coming out of Sydney, and uh, it was mm. good to read about racing and. Uh, uh, you know, I used to be uh, in awe of what was happening down there and what I, uh, I should have done really was gone a bit when I was about 20 rather than wait till I was 30 mm. because it um, yeah, so certainly it was different when you got down there.
0: Yeah. Well, you were there for two years with Paul Sutherland at a time yeah. when he had horses like Royal Troubadour, Wong, Honour yeah. yeah. Promise, Big Bickies, and several other very, very good ones. He ran second on the Sydney Trainers Premiership one year.
1: That's correct, yeah, no, he went from, uh, I think it went from 34 to 86 winners in the two years at Metropolitan Winners. We were at a heap uh, outside the uh, Sydney area, but um, yeah, we got up to either 84 or 86 winners the year he ran second.
0: Yeah, he was always buying tried horses, Barry. He had spies all over the place, including New yeah. Zealand.
1: Yeah, he did. He bought a lot of horses from anywhere and everywhere, and they would turn up from, uh, we even got one from northern uh, Queensland one stage, uh, an mm. old horse called King Solo, who, mm. you know, really, um, he raced really well in Sydney, uh, you know, from coming from from uh, running uh, sort of handicaps around north, yeah. uh, in north Queensland, and um, he ended up winning, you know, grace race in Sydney.
0: Mm. You'd met a bloke called Brian Smith uh, during yeah. that time, who was also training at Rose Hill, and he wanted to take six horses to Brisbane for the winter carnival, and he needed somebody reliable to look after the rest of the team at home, and you got the job, but it was a feather in your cap.
1: It was quite funny because I'd been a you know a bush kid. I uh, I did the, the wrong thing by myself. I, I gave Paul the about three months' notice. I so said, Come springtime, I'll finish up, you know, and mm. and I'll have a crack at this myself. And it could be about ten days later, he said to me, Oh, or you can move out of the house." Um, I found someone to replace you. I was like, oh, Jesus. So, oh. <laughs> I went to the race at White Farm that day, and uh,
3: mm.
1: and Brian came up and said, um, "What are you doing?" I said, "Well, as of today, nothing." And, um, that's how he said, "Well." Well, I've got some horse in Brisbane. Would you go up there and look after them? I said, Well, mm. I really can't. Uh, my wife should do to have a baby at any time. Uh. And he said, Oh, well, I'll go up. You stay here. And uh, <laughs> so, yeah. you know, so next morning I had to sleep in. I went up. I said to Chris, I'll go up and, and speak with Brian Smith. And as I drove, walked into his yard, he was driving out mm. with his two boys. And, I said, "Where are you going?" He said, "Brisbane." I said, uh, "Liz and the kids, the girls are flying up this morning, um, and oh, right, boys and I are driving up. Um, keys in the meter box. Um, you moving here?" And I said, <laughs> "God, bless oh, me." righto. <laughs> and uh, yeah. said, what about the horse and stuff? And, oh, you worked it out. He said, "You worked it out."
0: Yeah, laid back and, character still is.
1: And the best part about it when he's driving off, he. Up the, uh stood up in the running board of the Mercedes and said, oh, the checkbooks in the top drawer in the office. Sign your name. It'll be right. See you. <laughs> and that was it. Oh, that mate. was uh, six, It took six weeks for the bank manager to come down to find out who I, who I was. But... <laughs> Barry, <laughs> the <laughs> – That's like, the that.
0: <laughs> Mate, the bottom line is he knew you knew what you were doing.
1: Oh, yeah. No, we, we just uh, – from that – First day we met, we just got on well, and we we're still good friends, and yeah. that's how it is.
0: One of the horses in your care was Algonquin Club, yes. who won the Regilla Handicap at Randwick under your tutelage. He won the Colin Stephen Group Three, and he won a Canberra Cup, and I think yeah. Brian was pretty impressed with that.
1: He was, yeah. He um, no, we we had a, a marvelous couple of years. or well, the year that first year I was there with Brian, we had. Uh, a sensational run with, um, you know, a lot of tried horses and such, and and he went back to uh, to uh, New Zealand, and um, and I stayed on that Rose Hill. So that mm-hmm. was how it all panned out.
0: Yeah, well, you spent another year with Brian before you finally went out on your own, and yep. not long after, and Barry, I hate to bring it up, but it's part of the story. You yep. suffered a massive setback. You had a horse called Le Visage run second in a maiden at Hawkesbury and the stewards were of the opinion your apprentice jockey was far too casual in the closing stages. Now, they implicated you in the affair and the stewards very kindly gave you a 12 months holiday. How did you cop it at the time?
1: Oh, I didn't cop it at the time. I fought it uh, as strong as I could end up... uh uh, costing me, uh, you know, a lot of money, and we ended up doing the house and the whole and the blocks of land I'd bought at um, Rose Hill. So it, it financially, you know, was uh, massive. Mm. Um, and after several months in and out of court, um, they, uh, you know, give me the twelve months, and and uh, I'll never forget the judge saying at the time. He said uh, he asked the AJC what well, you know. about the ruling, he said, oh, we're, you know, we're an honorary body and uh, not bound by the laws of the land. And Mm. I said, well, this man is. And uh, Mm. that's how it all panned out. Dear me.
0: Uh, It's funny how things can work out, Barry. You'd met Alan Bell during your time at Sutherland Stable. He was a well-known vet. He was an owner. He was a breeder. He was a yearling buyer. He had 20 yearlings he'd purchased at various sales, all on a property near Camden. That's now, he wanted great. you to break in and educate them, and the AJC gave you that latitude. It was a timely opportunity.
1: Yes, uh, Alan, oh, well, you know, he, uh, we just got on so well and still friends after, you know, a thousand years. Um, mm. We don't see one another now, but when we do, it's always how hey, you going? Everything's good, so uh, yeah, that, that won't change. But Alan, uh, he, he uh, leased a property there of Widgie Summers, and, mm. and I broke in uh, the horses and got them going. And yeah, some you know, some uh, were sold along the way, and one that we got going there, and um uh, I got back and started training and and he just got beaten the magic millions of us called uh, Trustful, mm. who um, got beat a nose by St Jude. That was, um, well, you know, a good result in some respects, but, uh, you know, mm. if, if he'd have won, well, it would have been a, a big change to a lot of things.
0: My word, yeah, and a nose was the difference.
1: Yeah, well, the, the, I know the trainer's percentage, with Bruce McLaughlin was 105,000 to win, and there was... 7,000 for running seconds. so it was a, yeah. hell of a hell of
0: a difference for a short head. My word. Well, shortly after, you and Alan Bell jointly purchased a small stable complex in Western Street at Rose Hill, which had been previously occupied by Dr. Jeff Chapman. And this is where your business brain came to light, Baz. You bought out Alan's half share... Then you resold it to a bloke called Ray Anderson and Ray Anderson leased the place back to you so you could start training there, uh, which gave you some cash flow at the time. Hey, mate, that was a brilliant strategy.
1: Well, it it worked out fine, but the truth of the matter was was, the interest rates had caught up to me and I'd had a magnificent three years there with 12 horses Mm. and um, the bank said to me, We'll refinance you. I said, No way in the world. I said, How am I going to repeat these three years with the horses that just turned up? They weren't, there was no planning in it. It just happened that, mm. you know, if things turned up, the horses turned up and things went right with them. Mm. I was winning as much prize money as a lot of the biggest stables. Yeah. And, uh, but then interest rates went up, got up as high as 27% at the finish. Yeah. And it was just uh, too much for me. And, I remember saying to old Jack Denham, I said, Jack, I'm in a bit of strife if you want to buy the block, um, which was in between a, a couple of years. Mm. He said, oh, no, I'm right. Anyway, I said, well, I'll, I'll sell it. To, I know a bloke will buy it, which was Ray. Mm. And uh, next day, Jack said to me, you sold that place? I said, yeah, well, I told you. Mm. He said, oh, I thought I'd... I'd uh, Get it off you when you were going real bad. I said, That's where I am, Jack. I'm going real bad. <laughs>
3: that's
0: that's the way he thought.
1: <laughs> yeah, it is <laughs> and we we got on well, Jack and I, but yeah, uh, yeah it was that's how he said it. Well, wait, you're going real bad, I said, Well that's where I'm at, Jack, so <laughs> you should have bought it anyway. It uh it uh, was a costly move in some respects, it all mm. sold up for many millions later, you know. And, yeah. Uh, and that's how time goes, of course.
0: Mm. While you were there in that little stable, you took in a boarder, a fellow trainer and a good mate, Bruce Johnson, who yeah. you probably knew when he was a jockey in the New England.
1: Yeah, jockey. He was a uh, – I had the blacksmith shop next to Merv Corliss and Tamworth um, mm. and Bruce was apprenticed to Merv and most days he'd missed the bus to go to school and
2: yeah.
1: – and, um, any time he did, I'd run him up to school, and and uh, then he ended up – he rode, you know, plenty of horses for me in mm. early days. And then um, when I went to Sutherlands, he came down and managed uh, Prince's Farm for for uh, Paul and uh, in that era. Yeah. And, um, and then uh, when I got my licence, he came in as a uh, my foreman. So
0: Yeah.
1: I know. Yeah, it was – it was a
0: busy time. Well, I remember going there one day with a Sky Channel camera uh, to do a little profile on a horse Bruce was training called Cash on Schedule.
1: Yes.
0: And the strapper, you said to this young boy, uh, get that horse out for the cameras, would you please, mate? And uh, the strapper was a young bloke called Joe Pride. Yeah. yes. yes. Dear me. He's come a yes, long Joe. way.
1: Oh, Joe, he turned up there from... Finished his uh, college and school, he, he said, um, "I want to. I want to be a horse trainer." And uh, a fellow called Jason Patrick, who was just an outstanding worker, and mm. uh, he's turned out foreman for many leading stables in Sydney now. But uh, yeah, he, he could just work. I said, "If you stay with him for a fortnight, then we'll talk about things." Mm. And uh, he, he was battered and bruised, a couple of weeks later, but uh, yeah, he, he stuck to it, and and he's done an absolute yeah. A marvelous job all his life.
0: He certainly has. He's a tr- great bloke, Joe, and the yeah. most professional trainer and uh, runs a business brilliantly.
1: Well, we, we taught him all the, the basics of work, and then he, he went on to Billy Mitchell and then on to uh, John Sires, And mm. I'll never forget when he went with John. I said, Now, will you follow John all day, every day, see what you've got to learn, you know? Mm. And, after a couple of months, I rang him and said, "Hey, get on." He said, "Well, I'm going to bed, buggered." He works too hard, that bloke. <laughs> yeah,
0: he was a worker, John Slice. He had that, and and still is. Twenty years on.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, he's just yeah. just a worker.
0: Barry, just sit back there for a moment while we clear a commitment on this podcast, and we'll come back with you after this. Trainers strive to have horses spot on for race day. Fuel cells up the right mental state, the right fitness levels. Equally important is the horse's capacity to recover quickly from racing and track work. The aim is to give owners every opportunity to win optimum prize money by keeping a horse in training for as long as possible. High Gain Recuperate is a powerful blend of electrolytes, B Group Vitamins and Vitamin E in paste form which can be administered after fast work and in the days leading up to a race to assist recovery. 30ml of Recuperate drawn from the 500ml bulk pack is the economical alternative to individual electrolyte and vitamin paste syringes. High Gain Recuperate powers performance and recovery. Visit the High Gain website and use promo code JohnTap_Racing to receive 15% off your next Recuperate purchase. You had a lightly framed two-year-old filly called Sade in the stables in the early 90s who placed a couple of times in her first preparation. Then she won the Sweet Embrace first up at her following prep. She was unplaced in the Magic Knight and the Slipper and then she ran second in the Sires and the Champagne. She won one more city race later before going to Stud where she would make a far bigger splash than she made as a race mare. Yes. She had a couple of full brothers called Lonro and Niello.
1: Yes, yeah, no, she, she threw some good, good horses. It was funny that, um, like, she was with um, Ross Mythe Kirk and her, with his wife and uh, Denise, mm. and uh, then um, they were part of Arrowfield Stud mm. and at that stage, and then they had a, you know, after a couple of years, uh Sold off a lot of the brood broodmares, a batch of them, which Sade was in. Mm. They went to uh, Woodlands, which was Ingham's, and um, yeah, and uh, then that's how she got made it up with Octagonal. Otherwise, she wouldn't have been there. At, uh, no, so it, it just you know, as, as things pan out, it worked out fantastic because she really did produce a couple of marvellous horses.
0: Well, Lonroe and Nyello Barry won 14 group ones between them. Yeah. <laughs> Unbelievable.
1: Oh, yeah, she was such a tiny mare that you couldn't put your hand sideways between the front legs and people yeah. don't believe us, but you just couldn't fit your hand in there and, you know, they'd check uh, under the jaw to see how they got a nice jaw. Yeah. You could put two fingers. Oh, she
0: yeah. Do. She was a skinny She's little tiny.
1: thing. Yeah, yeah.
0: You had to race right. her in a breastplate all the time?
1: Yeah, and uh, I had to take my own girth for the was a uh, girth was, and it was 22 inches long. The girth was just nothing. She yeah. was a tiniest little thing.
0: Yeah, and she produced yeah. Lonro. It's just staggering.
1: Yeah, yeah by God, she's a, she certainly left her. Well, she traces back there to a you know, good lineage all the way through uh, herself, mm-hmm. but um, certainly he added to it.
0: Not long after, you got hold of a very smart New Zealand-bred filly called Rock Review, who won four races from not many starts. She won a two-year-old at Rose Hill very easily, and then you made the decision to take her back to New Zealand for the magic millions at Trentham. Larry Cassidy went with you, and she got the money. What a kick.
1: Yeah, it was lovely. It It was marvellous. Thing for her because, yes, uh, yeah, she, we paid, uh, I think it about 7,000 New Zealand at the time, it was probably four or five thousand Australian mm. when we bought her over there. David Gouger and uh, myself, David, and I bought a, a few over there different times and brought them back. But, mm. um, she was by far and away the best. She uh, she won that, and then she was continually lame. I p- took her to Melbourne with the size down there, and she mm. was. Lame all the time, and and uh, we end up couldn't find the reason. I bought it back, and we did senticography on mm. which was sort of reasonably new in those days back in Sydney, and uh, found a little spur uh. Uh, aggravating her hock, and and um, just needed some cortisone. It wasn't an opera, you know, didn't require an operation, mm. and uh, once we treated her with some cortisone. Uh, because of treatment, we couldn't race her uh, closer than three weeks before a race. We had to give mm. her the cortisone, you know, and then go three weeks and yeah. then run her. So she was clear of the swab. But mm. that, uh, she came back and won the sweet embrace. And that uh, day she beat Bint Maske. Yeah. Bint Maske. And then uh, mm. went on to the slipper, of course. And, and Bint Maske won the slipper. And that poor old Rock Review got galloped on and stripped from the top of the tail down to to a fedlock. So yeah. It wasn't
0: a good day. Watching the race, you th- you're you thinking to yourself, what the hell's wrong with her? She was yeah, floundering, yeah. was
1: it, all the yeah. way. Yeah, she was a mess, poor thing.
3: Mm.
0: Well, she uh, she won one race, I think, at her next preparation, and that was it, but she was never the same, was she, Barry? No,
1: no, no. Well, once, once she got pulled down, the next step was they hit her just up the top of the tail and stripped her. Right down to the fedlock. So, uh, mm. yeah, it was a major, major drama with her. But she, she ended up uh, siring a couple of, you know, good gallopers. So uh, mm. she she uh, you know, went, went pretty well for a $7,000 oh, New Zealand purchase anyway.
0: After three years there in Western Street, you accepted an offer from Brian Smith to share his stables at Warwick Farm. And you spent yep. the next three years there, rarely more than four or five horses of your own in work, but that's you right. won enough races to stay afloat.
1: Yes, we did.
0: Yeah,
1: that's an absolute fact. Uh, hmm. I, I got divorced after that, so... Uh, um, then I went to Port Macquarie. Yeah. With my, you... uh, two,
0: two children at the time. Yeah, you well, you trained a small team at Port. You yep. used your farrier skills to advantage... And you tried your hand as a domesticated dad helping to bring up your son and daughter from your marriage to Chris. Now, Rick and Kate, you told me once, never knew from day to day what they were likely to find in their lunchbox when they went to school.
1: It was, it was a bit of a thrill for them. Either way, they, did, they didn't know what colour their, their shirts were going to be either because <laughs> some, days, some days they'd leave with a slight tinge of pink in their socks and shirt and other days it'd be blue. It could be whatever went in the wash. I wasn't a very good uh, uh, father in that regard. And uh, I, I remember young Rick at his little time, he said to me, you're a really good cook, Dad, but could we have something different from sausages and chips? <laughs> <laughs>
0: Oh, <laughs> uh, they're great memories, mate, and you did your yeah. best. No man alive can do better than his best.
1: Oh, no, we had a lot of fun. It was, uh, yeah, it was certainly eye-opening for, for all of us, really.
0: There's a book in you for
1: sure. <laughs>
0: <laughs> now, fast forward to 2006 when a man called Albie Newman asked yeah. you to run a spelling and pre-training property at Oakdale. Is that yeah. the property now known as Heritage Park?
1: That's correct, yes. Yeah. Mm. You were there two years? Yeah. Oh, gee, it was solid work We, uh, because of, uh, I guess, I had quite a lot of contacts in in Sydney and, of course, when we got there and got the place running, we we started out with there was 28 horses there and when we left after two years, 140 there and 30 oh. in work, you know, so it was a, it was a full-on job. Mm. And, yeah. Uh, and cold. Oh, God, it was a cold place.
0: Yeah, Oakdale. Not far from yeah. Camden, is it?
1: Yeah, not far from Camden, up the hill. Mm. You, you could be midday at home, you'd have, at like a, up at the farm, you'd have a big coat on and you'd drive down to Camden and you'd be a T-shirt, you know. It was it's mm. a, a two, two entirely different climbers.
0: Mm. You often hosted interstate horses who had race commitments in Sydney and yep. one of your star boarders... Was a wonderful filly called Gold Edition, who won seventeen races all up and a couple of Group Ones. You became friendly with her owner Kevin O'Brien and yep. her trainer Ron Maund.
1: That's right. Yeah, we quite. Uh, there was a really good association all round. You know, with Ron and uh, and Kevin and, and myself, we got on great. And and that mare or well, filly at the time, she was just sensational. She's one of the toughest horses I've ever ever struck, you know, she, uh, mm. one would send her there and, and uh, you know, we just look after the farm and pick her up and take her to the races and send her back. Yeah. And, uh, she, in between, she, she won to running running the surround one day and and about uh, Wednesday rang me and said, uh, oh, is there any reason she can't run the new market on Saturday? And I, mm. well, there's no real reason, but she, she you know, you back her up quick and. Anyway, she got just got uh, collared and run second in the new market the next start. Yeah, one week later. Yeah, one week later, yeah. Yeah. What amazing she was. Yeah. I know uh, we every time she turned up there I'd get off the truck and put her in the housing bay and take her head collar off, give it back the float filler, you know, and mm. and the last time she came there she had two quick backups and she just Hopped off the truck and took me down to, the, to her paddock. It
0: dragged you. I had no yeah.
1: chance of stopping her. She just said, Come on down into the paddock. And that's what she said. Oh, I'm bad enough, you know. I want yeah. to sleep.
0: Touch your freak.
1: <laughs> oh, she was, she knew everything, you know, because she's mm. good. Mm. The guy from the newspaper came out to do a story on her one day and he, he said, um, I'll just set my camera up over here. I said, Well, I think you'll be game if you do. Yeah. He said, oh, he said, I want to get a good shot of her. I said, the only shot he got of her was her coming straight at
0: him. Oh, dear. She attacked the oh, camera.
1: Yeah. She, she, me. She, she, she was, You're in my paddock. Get
0: out. Yeah, gold edition. She was more like a stallion, more like a colt. She
1: was. She was a bull for sure. Yeah, yeah. got you. Being amazing, amazing, filly.
0: Mm. Well, that led you to another adventure when Kevin O'Brien invited you to work for him at yeah. his Loriston Farm at Western Port Bay in Victoria. How long were you there?
1: Not long at all, no. Probably a year or so we went down there. Mm. Um, yeah, I end up getting cooked down there and I um, end up back in, uh, well, after that uh, Karen said to me, mm. with the family in Tamworth, we might, uh, uh, you know, go back to Tamworth and
2: yeah.
1: have a couple of horses there. But I... Uh, it got down to 10 degrees in Tamworth, so mm. that's when I come to Brisbane.
0: Mm. Now, Karen had, Karen had two from a previous marriage and uh, yes. your a stepson, rather, Thomas, was in the racing game the last time we spoke, working for Peter yep. Snowden, wasn't he?
1: That's correct, yeah. He's now, uh, he's over. he got selected to go to Ireland. He's at the Irish National Stud over there working with the stallions now and uh, Good. he's there for 12 months. Mm. And uh, his sister Eliza's just got a job in England now with, um, oh, it's uh, doing breeding and matching up breeds over there. Yeah. So uh, she's uh, got a, a, a good job and a job she likes and, and does well, so. Mm.
0: That's, a, uh, that's Eliza.
1: Yeah, Eliza, yeah. Y-
0: your stepdaughter, yep.
1: Yeah. Yep, she went to, uh, she was been at a Stud there for quite a while and uh, mm. anyway, she's taken this new job and, and uh, it'll be good for her.
0: So the New England frost eventually drove you to Queensland about 10 years ago. You landed yeah. there with six horses, and you have never for one moment regretted that decision.
1: No. Well, it was minus t- the local newspaper came over the track that morning at ten It got to minus 10. I lived there the first 30 years of my life. It never got to minus 5, you know, minus, minus 5, minus 6 yeah. on the creek. Yeah. Mm. But it got to minus 10. Anyway, I had a horse called Tokamak and I nominated him for Brisbane and uh, well, I come to Brisbane. The only reason I went back was to fill up the truck and come back, you know. Yeah. A trip down, the trip back, that was it. Hmm? Just too damn cold. Yeah,
0: so Tokamak was really the one to launch your Queensland training career. He won a couple of stakes races. He was a good old horse, wasn't he?
1: He was a tough old horse. He really was. He won, I think he won five up here, and um, he, he was quite a good horse. A couple of listed races, even mm. in uh, Tamworth, he won two in the bush, and I took him to Warwick Farm, and he he won his third one at like three in a row at a mm. three-year-old race at uh, Warwick Farm. So yeah, he was a you know a reasonable. Uh, quality
0: Horse early days. Yeah, Tokamak. Now, some of the others to get you going up there were Surprise Bullet, Sky Trek, Adora Bubble, Hidden Pearl and Tumbler. Now, what about Tumbler? She oh, had yeah. she had 18 runs in three years, Barry. She was never out of trouble. What were the things that went wrong with her? Well,
1: she won her very first trial as a two-year-old and she Come from last of the trial, and uh, Ricky McMahon wrote and I said to Rick, "Just, mm. just let her work home the last little bit, you know." Well, she went straight by and put a big space up, mm. and the next day couldn't walk, and I'm going, "God, what's happening?" And she broke a pelvis. Oh dear! So <laughs> that was one one thing that happened, and then every time after that, there was just one thing after the other. Yeah. And uh, but oh my God, she could gallop. She was a uh, she was a very, very good uh, girl. I'll never forget her first start. A lot of them you forget, but I, I really liked her to this day. We we're going to have a few dollars on her. and mm. I had to be in uh, Port Macquarie at the time. I had to come down for that day for some reason. And uh, I thought I'll drive across to, to Tamworth and uh, watch the race and, It'll be fine, you know, I can operate from there. Well, I got halfway up the mountain between uh, Port Macquarie and Walker, and they're doing roadworks. They've never done any roadworks up there, and this whole place has mm-hmm. just stopped. And of course, there's no coverage on your phones, everything's out of play. And I thought, oh my God, this is going to be good. Mm-hmm. I'm supposed to be organising a, a bet on this horse. Anyway, as it happened, I got into. Uh, Walker just in time for the last half hour for the race, you know. So mm. things got organised a bit, and everyone had a few buckets on. I remember telling uh, Bridget Grillsley Rader, I said, "Bridget, just tuck in behind, and don't show her any daylight. Otherwise, mm. you'll be in strife. She'll get going." Yeah. Well, she she went for two furlongs, tucked in, and by the half mile, out she come, um, and she circled the whole field, you know, and just kept running. She, uh, mm. just won easy. It was mm. a very, very good man.
0: Yeah. Well, she won eight, six seconds and about $300,000, and she had everything from A to Z wrong with her. She finished oh. up with a hind suspensory strain, Barry, and they're worse than a front leg suspensory.
1: She had that, and she actually in- ran, broke her, cracked her knee on the last run at um, Eagle Farm too. Yeah, uh, dear me. Buddy, uh, ma- amazing.
0: Mm. Hidden Pearl was a good mare. Uh, yes. She won eight for you, including a stakes race. She was one of your favourites.
1: She was a, you know, she came to us with, with absolutely no record at all, so much so that she got balloted out of a maiden at Bow Desert where I wanted to run her. And uh, mm. I found a, uh, I looked through the norms and there was a class one at the Sunshine Coast mm. and he had a you know, 10 or 11 runners. so I was, oh, I'll put you in there, you'll get a run. And and you know I think she can win because she was absolutely flying and uh, which she you know I think the official margin was ten ten lengths she won by that day that first start we gave her goodness me yeah and she just kept improving you know she's just a really tough mare
0: mm. and then there was fiery heights and I've got a Nell. Doss was another one yeah. uh, show us your diamonds a lot like home cruise won about five in town and yes. more recently. What about this horse, Smart Cash, who won four races for you before suffering an awful end?
1: Yes, he he came to Bob, uh, Bob and went to the point and him and uh, they were going to sell him up north and and uh, said, I'll oh, give him a try. Well, this horse just, he improved so much every day. You he, he, he could see his confidence building. He got that cheek, he'd be waiting for you in the stables mm-hmm. just to let you know that... You know, he was feeling good, sort of thing, and he uh, he won, and, and he had a handful of starts, and he won those races, and, and he said set a track record at the Sunshine Coast in a mm. in a thousand meter race. And uh, said, "Oh, we'll, we'll knock off on him because he he had a, a tendon injury, and from previous times, and also a, a chip in his fetlock." And uh, after speaking with uh, Wendy and Bob, decided to get the chip out. Yeah. And broke me down if he went in for surgery. And uh, I got a call about one o'clock in the afternoon. Mm. And they said, uh, Oh, your horse died under anaesthetic. I'm going, God, I thought I was getting a call to say everything's fine. There he is. Oh, dear, mate. He died. Yeah. It was quite, yeah, it was a bit of a kick in the backside, that one.
0: Oh, terrible losses. Goodness knows how far he would have gone. He
3: very he, promising. It was an amazing horse.
1: Yeah? yeah. He was, he just, he was just one of those horses that uh, just loved being here and he, every day he grew, you know, you could you could just see him yeah. blossoming, you know.
0: Yep, yeah. smart cash. Yeah. Yep. You've had a couple of gun riders under your wing in recent times. You've already mentioned one of them, a very talented Kiwi girl called Bridget Grills. Gee, she rode some winners during her stay in Queensland.
1: Yeah, she's a lovely girl, Bridget. She's... Uh, She's back in New Zealand riding now. But, um, mm. yeah, she's just one of those really nice people, you know. She's just a pleasure to have around the place. She's great to work with and mm. uh, quite laid back though. I've got to say she come to work one day and I said, Bridget, the tyre on your car's pretty flat. Mm. And uh, she said, oh, is it? Oh. I said, yeah, better get it pumped up. Anyway, next day she comes and says, still the same. I said, yeah better put that on the jack, I'll go down and get it fixed myself, otherwise I'll have to come and find you tomorrow because it won't last another day. Yeah. Anyway, she said, oh, we'll, we'll do that then, that'll yeah. be fine.
0: <laughs> yeah, just completely laid back and it showed yep. in her race riding, didn't
1: it? Oh, yeah, she is she's she's one of those girls, you leg her up and when she hit the saddle, everything in place, you know. Like,
3: yeah.
1: I know it's uh, it's odd, but some, some riders, you leg up and you think, I wonder how far you're going to go, you know. Yeah. But, uh, no, she was a very, very accomplished writer.
0: And young Corey Bailis-Barry, who's still out after a positive drug test, incurred the displeasure of the stewards last year. You had a great run with Corey.
1: Yeah, he's good and he's just come back in now and he went the other day for uh, Casey Fogden and I thought, well, that'll be a nice little kick-along for him.
0: Oh, great. And, he's, and a,
1: he's, a, he's a good young bloke. And, uh,
0: you'll support him again?
1: Oh, yeah, no, he's fine. He's... Uh, already giving him a, a race ride and mm. and he's always coming back, you know, you want me to trial this or trial that or jump on something, you know, so good. So oh, he'll be fine. He's got a, a, a better uh, work ethic, ethic now than he uh, than he always had, you know, ever had, sorry.
0: Yeah, he's learned a lot.
1: Yes he has, yeah. yeah. Starvation's a great thing.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well it is and it isn't.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I know what What's you mean.
0: That? Hey mate, you've you've crammed a hell of a lot into your sixty nine years, the last ten in Queensland. You've really found your niche up there. You're on top of your health problems, and the world is your oyster going forward, my
1: boy. Yeah, well, let's hope it keeps rolling. I yeah. Uh, no, I, I I enjoy I've always enjoyed my horses. no it's never been a, an issue at all. I mean it's uh, it's it's a different uh Era now, I mean things are so much. Uh, it's always been tough, but it's a big uh, financial thing nowadays. It really is. It's, you just can't, no matter how hard you work, you can't work hard enough to uh, mm. to make up the shortfall. But the um, yeah, it's, uh, you know the young guys that are, are doing really well at the game. They run it uh, differently. It's uh, sort of a. It's, it's still the horse industry, but it's run. As a business, not as a horse industry, you know. It's, yeah. It's, a, it's a, more like Woolworths, you know.
0: Yeah, very different.
1: Yeah, a lot of publicity and, uh, and, uh, and they do a great job with it. Something well, I
0: hope that, uh, this publicity, Barry, for you as a horse trainer, as a, as a horseman basically... Uh, will highlight the fact that uh, you've done a tremendous job with limited opportunities over a long period of time. You're one of the best all-round horsemen that I've come across in the racing industry. And it's an absolute delight to catch up with you on a podcast produced by Supernova Sound. Thanks for your time, Baz.
1: Thanks very
0: much, John. Mitavite has been producing high-quality feeds and supplements for all walks of equine life for almost 40 years. Mitovite has become a household name in racing and breeding circles with products like Athlete, Formula 3 and Breeder, time-tested products in the breeding barn and on the racetrack. Twenty-six Thoroughbred Group 1 winners this season have been on a Mitovite feeding regime. From humble beginnings on the New South Wales Central Coast, Mitavite has become a world leader in equine nutrition. Infrastructure investment in the production mill and close attention to nutritional science keeps Mitavite at a standard of excellence developed over four decades. Check the website, mitavite.com or follow the Mitavite Racing and Breeding Facebook page. The Mitavite brand has earned the respect of horse people all over the world.